Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. From What Goes On Media, this is Backstage With, taking you behind the scenes with your favourite actors and creatives in the world of musical theatre. I'm Mikey Worrell. Today we're going backstage with Maz Murray, who's currently playing Mama Morton in Chicago in the West End. Maz is best known for playing Killer Queen in We Will Rock You. She was in the original cast at the Dominion in 2002 when she played the teacher and understudied Sharon D. Clarke. She became the longest serving cast member after taking over the role and staying until August 2011. Since then, she's played Tanya in Mamma Mia and also appeared in Mamma Mia Here We Go Again on the big screen. Now she's back on stage at the Phoenix Theatre. Here's our conversation. Mads Murray, back in the West End in Chicago. Hello. Good evening. How are you enjoying Chicago? Magnificent. Yeah? I, honestly, I'm actually sucking your throat, sweet. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. It's very rare that you get to do a role you love amongst people that you want to be around. You normally get one or the other. You know, like a wonderful role, but you can't bear the people, or you love the people, you can't bear the show. And we've all landed on our feet here, because we've all fallen in love with each other and loving what we do. Do you like playing women who are in charge? Yeah, I mean, I don't really mind who I play, because it's, um, you know, don't take it personally. Obviously, you don't like reading a script that says, and then this old fat bag walks in, and that's the role you're up for, Um, you know. (laughs) But, oh, it doesn't make any difference to me. Your sister has played Mama Morton. Yes. Has she been to see you? Yeah. Funnily enough, she's coming tonight. Oh, really? Yeah. What did she say? Oh, she loved it. I mean, it's it's so peculiar. I mean, I don't... I must have seen her play it... I think she did it seven years ago when I went to see it. And it's been long enough that I don't... I, I don't... I was very concerned that I would be doing a carbon copy of what she did because we have similarities, mannerisms and things. And yet she came and saw it and said it's as if they're completely different lines that you're saying because we've obviously just got a different take on, on the role. So yes, it's worked out pretty well, actually. Are you competitive? Are you, I'm, I'm better? Or is she, you won't be as good only, as me? Only with regards to food. Oh, really? As most siblings are. Like, if we go out for dinner and she gets her dinner and I get my dinner and they're put down at the table at the same time, it's that sibling thing. But I look at her, she looks at mine. And we go, I wanted to have what you've got. That's it. Do you have a swap? Yes. You grew up in quite a showbiz family. Yeah. How old were you when your vo- that voice, when did that emerge? Gosh, right. Well, my mother was in Cabaret with Wayne Sleep at the Novello Theatre where I did Mamma Mia. And I must have been maybe 10 and I used to beg her to take me into work with her so we, I would finish school I was at Redruce Theatre School in Maidenhead with my sister and we used to say please can we go in please can we go in so she'd pick us up from school we'd go home have a quick snack and she'd drive us into the West End from Berkshire and we would sit in her dressing room and basically listen to the show on the tannoy because we weren't allowed to go and watch it I mean we could but you know it, we couldn't go on our own so we had to stay in the dressing room and, and I remember learning, maybe this time, and I just thought it was wonderful. And my mum still says we always knew that there was going to be a problem with show business because you used to, on a Sunday, we had a bar with stools and I used to grab the stool, put it in front of the TV that they were all watching, sit on it and do an entire sort of cabaret version of maybe this time on my own at 10 years old. 
That sounds amazing. Taking it terribly seriously. Did anyone film it? No. <laughs> thank, thank you, Jesus. No, they didn't. But isn't that peculiar? That, I think that's peculiar. It's amazing. But I always had a really deep voice. Always. So even when you were sort of 15, it had quite a mature sound? Yes. And I didn't really start peaking with singing-wise. I was never picked for anything to, to do with singing until I was sort of 21. And I went up for a role playing Patsy Cline. That's the first time I actually got a job singing because I just sounded so mature for a child, you know. And everybody else at school was up for little Cosette and little Eponine. And I mean, I just sounded like I'd been up all night smoking. (laughs) And um, as I sort of grew up, I guess I grew into my voice. And I'm, in a way, I'm quite thrilled that I didn't try to change it. Just paying off now. Yeah, and you know, I, I'm sure it crossed my mind. Oh, I wish I could sing high, and I wish I could do all these, you know, have that musical theatre ability. But I just, I just didn't have it. I just wasn't like that, and it took me ages. I would say Smokey Joe's Cafe was the show that I found my voice, if you like. Mm. And I was taking over from this amazing um, woman called Patty. She was on Broadway with it, and I had to learn the audition, listening to recordings of her, and it was just that breakthrough moment of, ah, this is what I can, I can do this, I can do this. And that's really where I found my voice, where I didn't feel that I was always finding it, you know, so difficult to do these top high belts and sound so angelic. And yeah, Smokey Joe's was the turning point, probably vocally. When you came to Chicago to Mm. approach this, we've all seen the film and heard Queen Latifah do it. Mm. Do you sort of listen to it and go, what can I do with that? How do you sort of identify how you can change it? Because I loved what you did. I saw it last night. I loved what you did. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. Um, I love how you took it up the octave. I was like, yes. Okay, so that kind of happened because vocally, that song is very much a story of... It's not a vocal show-off, you know. Mm-hmm. It's basically, you know, the way that Chicago is set up is that everybody arrives on stage and um, illustrates their position in the show. That's basically... As they enter, they go, this is my role, this is what I do. So the Mama Morton song is basically saying, this is what I'm about in the show, boom. But it doesn't do a lot vocally. So you are it's more concentrated on you getting authority and control and power. And when I went up for the audition, I thought, well, they're not going to know what I can do vocally because the song doesn't do a lot vocally. So I just did something sort of extraordinary at the end just to actually show the Broadway producer <laughs> I can actually go a bit higher. Not, I mean, th- my first thought was he's going to hate it and think, oh, God, can you just do what you're supposed to do? But, um, you know, you only get three minutes in an audition to show them what you can do. And I thought, well, I may never be in front of this producer again so I did it and got the job and when we were starting to when I was actually had my first vocal call I said to Ian Townsend the MD who's actually currently up for a broadway.com award please vote uh, as MD musical director of Chicago thank you so much Um, thank you do you like that and uh, he I said to him how have you always wanted to hear it I'll do it how you've always wanted to hear it so he said I've always wanted to hear it go up at the end. And I said, all right, let's go up the octave on, on all three notes at the end. And that, and that was it. We tried it. We said, Look, let's do it. And then when all the bosses come, if they like it, it's in. If they don't, too late. We've already done it. And, uh, and that's, that's it. And it stuck. Oh, so were you the first to, to do that ever? As far as I know. I mean, pretty amazing singers have done this show. But as far as I know, 
I don't know. What do you think? I'm I don't, I, I'd never seen it until I came last night. Uh, oh, it took my me 21 God. years. Oh, you're took... a Chicago virgin. I know. Amazing. Yeah, I don't think they have. Because it seems, my impression of it from last night is that it's a very good show at, at being a clean slate for people to come in and sort of find their interpretation of the, the people. Yes, yes and no. I think Chicago are excellent at you doing your take, but they're really, really strong on keeping that formula that is, it's got to be of era. You've got to sound like it's of era, which is to do with intonation and um, an accent and all those sorts of things. But yeah, they're quite good at letting you put your own thing on within reason. Of course. Within reason. Which is the way it should be. Yeah, I mean, I think the people that they trust can do it they let do it and some people obviously think that they can do their own take of it and it just gets too far away from the original and I think they just bring you back can we talk about the role that you are most known for Killer yes. Queen yes. in uh, We Will Rock You oh not the ugly duckling at Maidenhead fine that's cool <laughs> My day was one of my peaking roles. Before you said that, I think, oh God, have I missed one? <laughs> yes, Killer Queen. You weren't initially going to be in that show. That happened quite last minute, didn't it? So last minute. I auditioned and I got thrown out of the auditions. Not in a bad way, but just, you know, major no. And Because I was up for Meatloaf originally. Um, and that was that and I got thrown out. Anyway, I actually ended up having a bit of a fight with the people there. We had a disagreement about the song that I was supposed to prepare. And I said, well, he's playing it a different key than you asked me to prepare it. And they said, no, you're not. And they said, well, you are. So we asked the MD and the MD said, no, she's right. This is a different key. And it was just way too high for me. Anyway, whatever. So they could see me being a bit like, mm. So that that was that. Anyway, I'm, I'm not called back in. And that's the end of that. Three days before the show is about to open, somebody is released from their contract. And it was the lady covering the Killer Queen that was playing this role of the teacher. So they asked, they went through all the audition tapes and they saw me going, excuse me, but I'm being Killer Queenie. And they said, well, let's bring her back in because she looks like, because then their main objective was to find someone that could cover Sharon, but also was sort of, can slip into the ensemble as well. So I went back in and sang an Elvis song because I didn't know a Queen one well enough. And they said, well, we asked you for a Queen song. And I said, I know, but this is the King. And they said, uh, will you start tomorrow? And I learned the show in three days. Oh, my God. And that's not an easy show to learn in three days. No. <laughs> I'm not you something. I can't learn things in three months, let alone three days. But, yeah, it was, it was such a challenge. But it was so exciting. And it's very different going in when, in a way, you're saving the day. Because, you know, they were, they were so delighted that to have somebody come in three days before that. They wouldn't have cared less if I'd actually just stood still. I think they were just so thrilled that I, you know, I was there to um, pick up this little bit of a dilemma they were in. So, yeah, it was, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Does it seem quite alien to you now that, because you did Killer Queen for so many years, yeah. that you were one of the, the yuppies and, you know, you were in all those scenes in, amongst the ensemble? I can't, I, I didn't uh, see it until you were I remember it. I remember it, all of it. And I have vivid memories of being in the ensemble because this is where I made my friends for life. When you are a lead in a show, more often than not, you're actually quite isolated in that your scenes are invariably on your own or with one other artist. You're called into rehearse on your own or with whoever you're performing with. And it's only when you're in the ensemble or in an ensemble piece that you actually get to hang about with people and bond with them and muck about and have your fun. And that's where actually all the fun happened with We Rock You. It was all of us backstage. 
as a rabble and going to Buckingham Palace as a rabble, you know, there was just anarchy. And in every company, there's like one nightmare that's loud and crazy and has enormous guts. And we all rock you had hired all of them. So there was like 33 of us like that. And it was just a magic, a magic two years. Did you all gel right from the start? Yeah, but we were, I mean, everybody was a nightmare. But, and also because the show was such new territory then, there'd only really been Mamma Mia that was of a similar ilk. It was brand new territory. We were being run by producers that were creative rock stars. The rule book went out the window. You know, our producers had put their houses on the market to fund this. It was it was just most peculiar. It wasn't, it wasn't in the same way that a Cameron Macintosh musical is run not that I've ever worked for him but I understand that it's it's so much has so much more order and uh system whereas ours was just no one had ever really done it before in the management so it was brilliant and terrifying and we got our notice and then that was retracted and then we said oh we can't sing like this eight times a week and they were like no quite right let's take one of the matinees out I mean that does not happen you know it doesn't happen I forgot that they did that they did that and that's Primarily to do with the fact that our producers were creative people and, you know, singers themselves and understood that this was incredibly difficult to sing every night, eight times a week. And they were just, they were just really, really terrific to us. And actually, thinking back to that era, what a bold move that was to go into the dominion of all places with a brand new production. Yeah, but I mean, they wouldn't have looked at it as a bold move. You know, you're talking about the biggest rock stars, some of the biggest rock stars that England have ever produced, and they wanted it to be massive. You know, they perform at Wembley. They didn't want some little children 50-seater. They want to roll out with all their Rolling Stone friends and go, this is our show, when it's mega. You know, because that's partly to do with them being rock stars. You know, they wanted it to be outrageous and they got it. How did it feel when you said you got your notice? Yeah. When those reviews came in, what was the atmosphere like backstage? Um, Well, the atmosphere was terrible because people had got mortgages, people had, you know, thought they had work for a year. We'd had a very, very difficult time. The show, I think, originally ran for three and a half hours, and it was in the it was in the rehearsal process that they cut like forty minutes, which means people lost songs that they thought they were going to be in the show doing. People took the job because they had a song. You know, it, it was just a really difficult time. And then, you know, the, obviously the press slated us, which. Ben Elton had said to us, this is sadly standard for him. You know, he always gets a really rough time, which is ridiculous because he's had the most amazing career and he's, you know, quite frankly, one of the greatest writers ever. But yeah, they 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 murdered us until we did Buckingham Palace. And that was for the Jubilee? That was for the Absolutely. Queen's Jubilee, but that was the first time that the public and not theatre-goers had seen the show and it appealed to them. 12 years later. And 12 years later. So, you know, that notice was retracted. It was straight after we'd done Buckingham Palace. It just went boom. And that was it. Covering Sharon, that must yeah. have been quite interesting because a lot of the time, you, if you see an understudy, you get... Interesting. I remember watching her do it in rehearsals thinking, I've got a chance. <laughs> Not a chance. I was like, are you sure? Um, <laughs> um, what possessed you? I mean, she's six foot. She's unbelievably impressive. And I just thought, what has possessed you to pick somebody who's five foot four? I mean, and I'm just, I look ridiculous. I look like her key ring. 
Um, and I just thought, I don't know what to do. And the producers took me aside, and Brian and Ben and, um, and Roger and our wonderful resident director, Tony Edge, and they just said, look, you're not here to do her version. You're here to do your version. Find your own way. And I just, that's what I tried to do. How long did it take you to sort of get comfortable with, with doing it? Well, the first time I ever did it was Party in the Park, which Sharon couldn't do. Um, and I was only told the day before and I'd not been on yet. So my introduction to playing Killer Queen was, I think, to 80,000 people at Hyde Park. No pressure. Yeah, and I think I actually got the words wrong because I'd, I don't think I'd even had a rehearsal at that point. It was so early on. I probably had, actually. But, you know, I'd never worn the wig. I'd never had worn the costume. And that was it. And Brian May took my hand, walked me up the steps and went, rock. <laughs> I was like, okay, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that was it. So I didn't really think about it. You, you get much more stress as you get older. Oh, really? When, well, because when you're younger and you're, you're the underdog, you've got nothing to lose. You've got everything to gain. And as you get older and more experienced, you realise what can go wrong, which you're not really, you're beautifully blinded by when you're younger. How did you find out that you were taking over? Was that always going to happen? No, it wasn't always going to happen. I think I did my first year and then I left. And then they, uh, there was a problem with the lady that took over from me. And I said, look, I don't really want to come back because I don't want to be an understudy. And they said, well, we don't think Sharon will do longer than a year. And I said, all right, well, look, I'll come back if there's, you know, I don't mind doing one more year if there's a possibility of, of me um, taking over. And they said, yeah. And that, that really is how it happened. And then you got to do it for such a long period of time. Yeah. How did you keep it interesting? I think it's much easier to play a toughy baddie than it is to play somebody that's full of beans. Because I think it's easier to be somebody angry every night because you can do it however you feel. Whereas it's really hard to play somebody joyful when you are poorly or tired or unhappy or heartbroken, which we've all been. And I was there nine years. I experienced all of those emotions whilst being in a show. You know, whilst I was there, I got married, I got pregnant, you know, all these massive things. So luckily for me, I was playing a role that camouflaged a multitude of life-changing experiences. And every evening I could just put on a... (laughs) and. It was so much easier. I did come a couple of times when the set had an unfortunate malfunction. Oh no, which one? Oh, well it always seemed to happen to you. I know. It was always... Well I had the hydraulics. The poor crew on that show, God they were amazing. But yeah, I mean I never walked on stage or left. I was lifted up through the floor, flying around the thing, and back through the floor. Yes, it went wrong a few times. What did you see? There were a couple, but the main one, I think, was on when you came back for two weeks after you'd had the baby and then you came back. It was the last night. And oh, what happened? There was a show stop in Act Two. What's there? Yeah, I can't. This was seven years ago. My last night. Yeah. I mean, what had happened? I can't. I can't quite remember, but I do remember that at the end. I think it was the screens because you know when you, after headlong after the reprise when they're on the bike. Yes. And you came on on the screen and yes. then you do your dissolve. Yeah. You came up through the through the floor. Did I? So I think it was to do with the cameras and the screens. Did I? Yeah, because there was a, there was like a weird tie your mother down moment, and I remember you going, "I am not your mother." Oh yeah! Oh my gosh! That's your memory's just, that's amazing. Just come back to me. Do you know there's so many? It always happened to me. I remember when there was a malfunction on the table that used to spin round over there, and it went literally like thirty miles an hour. 
It was like the waltzer. Did you keep going? I can't get off. You can't get no, off. But did you keep singing? It was in the it was in the instrumental oh, right, of, a, okay. of it's a kind so of magic. <laughs> yeah. And literally looking looking across at Alex, like what's happening? Yeah, it was it was horrific. I mean, the scariest bit of all because we had to clip on, you know, yeah. with, a, with a safety harness. I remember saying to the the bosses once, I was like, well, you know, if I forget to clip on, it's going to be. And they said, well, then you're not clipping on for you. You're clipping on to protect the audience from you. I was like, oh, that's really reassuring. Reassuring. Cheers. Yeah, it, it went wrong. Did, well, of course it did. You know, it enormous bits of machinery. But one of the ones that I remember was when I used to come through the floor, I had like a three foot leather train, like a tail on my, um, and on the one bites the dust. Yeah, on the red. Oh, on the red one. On the red. And I came up through the floor and then the floor dips back down for me to start. And as the floor dipped, it ate the tail. And I knew I couldn't move because I knew I was literally, it was like trapping it in a car door. And I just, I remember saying to Khashoggi, I can't move. (laughs) And he was like, I don't understand, mom. I was like, I can't move. You're going to have to lift my bedroom table because I can't move. And they they actually worked it out, but the band had already started the song. So I started this song out waiting, standing still. God, it was awful. But yeah, so many things happened. But it was, it was all right. It was but fine. that was okay by the time the song finished and you went back down? Because otherwise I went back down. Yeah. you'd have been going down. No, but there were quite a few moments when the table had broken and I couldn't go back down through the floor and then I had to do a a dying witch on the stage and I was like oh can I just pretend I've melted and like no so I mean yeah, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong for me at times yeah it's really funny yeah well it was always fun to see especially yeah. when you've seen it a few times and you could oh I mean it's the best when it goes wrong the audience love it because they feel that they've witnessed something totally unique and uh, <laughs> invariably they had yeah and the other unique thing that people always got to see was when Brian and Roger came yeah which on your last night was yeah. that was I think the most the craziest one I saw because yeah. from when they played Beautiful Day at the start and it yeah. was just it was amazing it was amazing what, what's your favourite memory of being in that show I think that last night because it suddenly dawned on me what I'd experienced in that 10 years and what it had done for me and my career really against many 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 people telling me to leave a lot of times and very very influential people telling me to leave and other producers and agents and you know saying you should really leave you should really leave and I, and I just I, in my heart I was like but why but why would I leave I'm so happy I don't believe in moving on for, for what for ego's sake to so to show I can do other things I'm having the most wonderful time working with the most wonderful people it doesn't happen in life that you are able to earn your living working with people you adore in an environment that is wonderful to you. They looked after me. They just really did. You know, they helped me buy my first property. Just so many things happened on that show. And I just thought I spent half of my 20s into my 30s there. It was the most magnificent decade of my life. No question. Were you surprised when it did eventually close? Well, no, I wasn't surprised because I'd been through three or four massive meetings of the show is going to finish in the 10 years that I was there and twice it had turned around because of the we did uh, the jubilee and then the other two times I actually called Brian and I just said I don't know why we're closing because the audiences here are still stronger than anywhere else 
everyone is going through a recession. It was right after the London bombings. And it was a very, very tough time for entertainment. You know, there was a recession happening. And I was like, just cling on. And I, I think that we'll ride the wave. You know, we've never gone down that route of having celebrities or we've, ne- we've never had to do that because the music itself and Queen being involved always carried this through. And so it had survived so many near closes. So when when I finally left, because you know I'd, I'd had my family, like you said, I kind of knew that it was going to be inevitable at some point because I wasn't there to stop it. No, I'm joking, but you know, it just things have got to finish as well. You don't want them to get to a point where the magic has gone. It needed to stop while whilst while it was, it was peaking. Yeah. yeah, and it really and they were right to do that because. It's so ready now for a revival. It's so ready to come back and be better than ever. So I think it was quite a good thing rather than it become tired and unhappy. You know, it didn't. It stayed legendary, very much like Freddie Mercury. You then went on to do Mamma Mia after a little bit of a pause. Yeah, well, the pause was the other child I had. Oh, you've had two? Yes. That's another show with a lot of staying power. That's right. How did that experience differ from Rock You? Completely different machines because Mamma Mia is an institution in itself. It was the first of its kind. And Judy Kramer has very much been part of that show in the same way as Queen have right from the beginning. She is such a majestic lady. She's absolutely wonderful. It was wonderful to join something because I have such a good understanding of long running shows and really how hard it is to maintain those some people find it really difficult because there is a, it, there is like a conveyor belt system. This is the formula. This is how it works. And, you know, you have to hit these targets, you know, for it to continue. And Mamma Mia definitely do that. And so I was so excited to do it. I was really excited to play Tanya because it's a small enough role that it's not about me unless it's a really good night. And then it was totally down to me. That's how I looked at it. <laughs> And then you were in the, the sequel of the film. Yes. I left Mamma Mia and they asked me to do all the blocking for the movie as Tanya, which I did throughout the summer. And then they put me in a, a number at the end, which was just brilliant. So, yeah, that was most of last year was working on the film. It was great. You're in this till January. Yep. When it's shutting up shop. Yeah. Do you have your eye on anything in the future? No. Just a break, maybe? Yeah. I mean, I don't really plan I just sort of go any way the wind blows. I'm always open to persuasion and I get very excited about not knowing my future as opposed to most people that want to plan. And have that panic. Yeah, no, I enjoy I enjoy the panic because the panic makes you become resourceful and sort your life out. And I may make some more music because I made an album last year and I may do more of that. Let's see what happens. Well, thank you very much. I have to let you thank go and do your you. warm-up. Thank you so much. It's been great. You can see Maz in Chicago until the 5th of January next year. And you can hear more of her by downloading her album, Midnight Maz. It's on Spotify, iTunes and Amazon. And there's more information at midnightmaz.com. If you want to see some of the videos she referred to, like performing at Buckingham Palace and making her Killer Queen debut at Party in the Park, they're all online for you to see at backstagewith.com. To keep up to date with the podcast, you can follow us on Twitter at backstage underscore with, Instagram at Backstage With Podcast or find us on Facebook. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>